Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT Wednesday, Brian Driscoll Day, here on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Didn't get That's to talk holiday, to you Monday. I, think I could get behind right there, man. <laughs> I, I like the sound of that. That's right. That's right. How you doing today? You staying dry? I'm doing great. Doing great. Yeah, I missed you on Monday, man. I know. Had an exciting basketball game, though. So. <laughs> Heck yeah. I heard it was a really close game up until about tip off. Y- yeah, that's exactly right. Ran away with it. <laughs> that's exactly right. It was. Uh, it was seven to five Oklahoma. That was their biggest lead and their only lead <laughs> at mm-hmm. that point. So. Yeah. It was a lot of fun afterwards. So, yeah. If you're on the Notre Dame side, obviously. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which I am. I'm yeah. always pro Notre Dame. Well, yeah, Dame. exactly. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to ask you this this story came out just before I was starting the show today. And it's not football related, but you know, we talk about coaches and you know, like Marcus Freeman's put together his first staff and all that different stuff. Dane Fife let go after one season on Mike Woodson's basketball staff at Indiana. And a lot of the fan and some media chatter that I have seen associated with this says, you know, maybe Dane Fife challenging the head coach too much in his first season. They were a little bit of an, of an, of an arranged marriage, it sounded like. You know, they had never worked before, that kind of stuff. And my, you know, and you've been on coaching staffs obviously, and you know, all that different stuff. My feeling is if an assistant is going to challenge the head coach, the head coach had better have a lot of trust in that assistant mm-hmm. uh, you know, and not feel like maybe there are ulterior motives at yeah. play. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, curious like what you think about that kind of thing. I think in as an assistant coach, you have to be very careful when you're working with a head coach that you've never worked with before. Especially when it's, you know, you're both, I believe they're both alums, right? Didn't Mike Woodson also yes. play at Indiana? Yep. You know, I think that's that's a really, that's a really kind of interesting line that you got to toe. I'm, I'm all for assistant coaches being able to challenge the head coach. But number one, it has to be a challenge that's being, that's being warranted, or not warranted, but sought out by the head coach. I mean, you need to hire people that you know that you like you said that you trust mm-hmm. and give them the authority to say, "Hey, look, if I'm not if if I'm losing my way or if I'm doing what you know is not who I am or if you don't like this call or whatever else, I need you to challenge me." But there's a way a right and a wrong way to do it. And that also can play a role in that relationship is if that challenge is happening kind of out in front of the players or right. during games, that's not going to be okay for me. Yep. Uh, that challenge needs to happen, you know, behind closed doors, or if you're up in the box. I mean, that's the one you know, in football. That's an area where you can challenge a sure. head coach or a call. It's different. That's you're talking on headsets, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I, you know, I, th- I think especially if you get in these situations where maybe, like you said, it was a, a, an arranged marriage, so to speak, you got to be real careful that you earn that coach's trust before you start challenging him. Because what's going to happen is this going to have the exact opposite effect of what you want it to have. 
And if I don't trust you and you're going to come at me with things that they're telling me you don't think I'm doing the job well enough or that I should do it, that's how I'm going to take it. It's mm-hmm. not that you're trying to give constructive criticism or how we get this thing better. It's like you're, you're trying to undermine me or you're trying to challenge me or you're trying to question me. And whether it's right or wrong, you know, coaches have egos, right? We all do and in, in that business. And, and if you think someone's undermining you and challenging you, you're going to not handle that real well, understandably so. So I think you got to really, really – toe that line the right way especially in year one and then as you work well together and that coach knows me better and he knows that hey this is just my personality and all that kind of stuff like I've had that problem before at at different jobs where just like you know I have a bit of an abrasive personality and I just kind (laughs) of speak my mind you know me well enough to know and I'm like I'm just trying to say something constructive but it can come across much more maybe aggressive than than maybe I intended right and and again that like that goes to the relationship if if the other guy Mm -hmm. or you know person is not familiar with sort of how you (laughs) communicate those kind of yeah they can take it in in completely the wrong way that's right absolutely and so communication is so important in so many different ways but if you're not seeking that type of communication then or or that type of input that's also going to make it to where like look dude i didn't ask you to tell me what you think about that i asked you to do this right i asked you to coach the quarterbacks or the receivers the d-line i didn't ask you to you know to do this this and this and if you don't have that kind of relationship that's going to be sort of the response you're going to get yep i agree i agree all right so um Oh, something else I wanted to ask you about before we talk more Notre Dame specific. All this talk about hand size with Kenny Pickett, mm-hmm. the the former Pittsburgh quarterback getting ready for that. I'm curious what you think of that because you've also played quarterback before. Is it is it just completely overblown? Is there is there anything to it? What do you think about all this? You know, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. I I don't think it's overblown just by its just in just just dismiss it no matter what I think it's certainly something that needs to be discussed right because hand size has a lot to do with your grip okay mm-hmm. and uh, for some people it, it, it impacts us like so for me for example I I don't have very big hands I would imagine I I would be at the bottom of the quarterback uh, combine chart when it comes to hand size well for me that was a problem because my hand size I have bigger palms so I have shorter fingers if your hand size is a certain way because you have maybe a smaller grip but longer fingers, it may it may not impact you, right? We all don't have the same palm to finger ratio, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the reality of it, you know. But for some players, it, it can be impactful. So for me, I had a hard time throwing the deep ball, you know, throwing really like muscling up passes and throwing with zip when the ball was wet. I, I just for because of my hand size and the way that I gripped it, I had an issue. Michael Vick had incredibly small hands for a quarterback. I think like eight and a half inch hands. Oh, wow. It was never a problem for him because he has very strong hands and just the way the makeup of it. So you when you see a hand size, it's like with anything else. Like, okay, I need to follow up on that. Then you pop in the film and you say, okay, this kid played in the SEC. He never had any rainy games. He played in really nice you know, weather, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, this could be a problem for me. But with Kenny Pickett, it's like the kid played in Pittsburgh. <laughs> His entire career, right? right so right. give me every game that he played in where it rained and give me every game that he played in where there was heavy wind and then evaluate that. And if the film checks out and he's getting zip on the ball and he's throwing accurately and all those kind of things, then you say it's not a problem, right? And then if you're putting him through a workout, you do the wet ball drill and see how it see how it pans out. So, you know, I think that's kind of how that's kind of how I look at this whole thing. Like, I, if you remember watching the, uh, the North Carolina pit game, it was pouring down rain the whole time. Uh-huh. 
he threw for 346 yards and three touchdowns and outplayed Sam Howell, you know, and, and I didn't notice any throws that were beyond like, oh, gee, that looks like a guy with small hands, right? Sure. And, you know, so to me, it just it depends on the quarterback. For me, it was a problem. I, I bet you my hands are similar size to Michael Vick's. But for him, it wasn't a problem. He could throw in the rain. He could throw in the wind. He could do all that kind of stuff. It was never a problem. It just, And you'll have some guys with bigger hands who the struggle when the ball is a little wet because of the way they grip the ball. So you just have to you have to take it with, 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 as a part of just another data point that you need to follow up on, just like if a guy has a you know, low wonderlick test or a guy doesn't run a great 40 or whatever else. Like, okay, let's follow up on this. Let's look at the film. Let's, you know, see what the film tells us and – you know, somebody had a joke as an offensive lineman. He's like, you know, I don't, I don't know if a team like, you know, Kenny Pickett, you know, you, I don't know if he's going to be able to to thrive in a, you know, a, an AFC North, you know, team like Pittsburgh, for example. Making a joke like the kid played in one of the worst weather areas in the nation, right. and it was never a problem. He, I think he he's going to be fine. Played in Pittsburgh, yeah, right. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Brian Driscoll from IrishBreakdown.com. Okay, so speaking of quarterbacks, let's shift. Mm-hmm. To some some Notre Dame, I was playing some of Marcus Freeman's comments about the quarterbacks, and he said, you know, I'm no quarterback guru, but he spends time with the guys each week to mm-hmm. to get to know them and all that. I'm, what do you think about that? The relationship that he's trying to build as a as a defensive coach with the guy, with those guys, it's vitally important. I mean, incredibly important. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to necessarily walk in there and start telling the quarterbacks what to do, right? Like, dude, you're you're a linebacker's coach, right? Like, you know, (laughs) I mean, I respect you as head coach, but, like, I don't really think you need to be critiquing my technique. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just not – but some head coaches like, hey, I know you – I've never coached a position, but I have a a theory on how it should be coached. Like, okay, shut up. (laughs) But you you can create some of that. But at the same time, you also need – your head coach has to have a good connection to the quarterback, right? Like – the quarterback has got to be, in some ways, the 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 advocate for the head coach, and vice versa, right? Like, if if the quarterback doesn't have the coach's back, if the quarterback's not buying into the message and those type of things, and that can be a problem. And one of the things I liked when we actually listened to the quarterbacks talk when they spoke after what was it Saturday's practice, right? Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner both quoted Mark, uh, uh, something that Marcus Freeman says to the team. It was like one day, you know, one like one day, one one day, one life, or one play, one life, or something like that. I forget what it was, but it was like the fact that they like just off the tip of their tongues, they just both grabbed it and, and used it. It's like okay, they're that's a a good sign for me because you want them to say, hey, look, I got coaches back. We don't necessarily have to have the relationship where you're telling me about footwork and reads and stuff like that, but I need to know that you have my back, that you understand what I'm going through, what I'm doing, and whatever else. And then if the quarterback then supports the head coach, it's going to then kind of manifest itself down through the rest of the team. So I do think it's very important that Marcus Freeman has a, a good relationship with the with the quarterbacks without then stepping on Tommy Reese's toes because that's the other kind of, you know, danger zone to any, to, you know, head coach, yeah. quarterback coach, slash OC relationship. Uh, but, you know, and I, and I think the fact that he said, look, I'm not a quarterback guru right there. Like if, if there were, any, for example, any – sort of uh, nervousness from Tommy Reese's standpoint that Marcus Freeman's coming in the quarterback room listening that right there is Marcus Freeman kind of saying hey look let me let me bring the guard down right let me let me take the 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 electric fence you got around you down and let you know like I come in peace right you know (laughs) and I think that's smart I think that's smart and savvy so uh, I, I liked what he had to say, and I love the fact that you know a couple days later we're listening to the quarterbacks just talking about well you know Coach Freeman says this and Coach Freeman says that, 
I think that was that was a, a positive sign for me. Yeah, and I, I think that means that they're listening to him, obviously, as well. Mm-hmm. And and right. they're not just kind of going through the motions, yeah, coach, or whatever. You know, whatever. Because right. he's the leader of the team. Yeah. Right? They need to be able to look at him as the leader of the team and be able to look at Tommy Reese as the leader of the offense. Mm-hmm. So when Coach Freeman's talking about big picture stuff, I'm locked in, I'm zoned in, I'm like, I'm everything he has to say, I'm taking and I'm running with it. But then I'm also going here and, and listening to Coach Reese in the same way as he talks to me about, you know, what the nature of, of, of who we are going to be on offense, right? You need to be able to do both. And for this staff to really click together as 11 guys all on the same page, that, that has to – they have to make sure that they're on the same page. And then that's going to make it so much easier for the, pe- the players to accept the various roles of authority that each coach – because, you know, with quarterbacks it's only two. But, like, with offensive line – They've got three authority figures they have to listen to, the head coach, the offensive sure. coordinator, and the position coach, yeah. right? And everybody has to be speaking the same language and, and focusing on the same the same big-picture things. And the head coach has to, you know, there has to be a part of that. And I think it's also important, too, because he is a defensive guy, that Marcus Freeman doesn't come in and say, hey, listen, guys, I'm just the defensive guy. I'm your, he, he said from the very beginning, I'm your head coach, too, right? I need you to know that I'm here for you, too. It's going to be a lot easier for the defensive players to feel that way about Marcus Freeman because they know him. They've played under him. He's earned that trust and vice versa. With the offensive players, he's going to have to kind of go a little bit an extra mile to then create that same relationship because he needs to have all 85 scholarship players, all the walk-ons, everybody that's a part of the program has to believe that that's my head coach. Well, and that's, you know, he also talked about trying, you know, working to make this one team and not offense versus defense. Yeah, and you, I love that. Yeah, just – I love that. Some more on that then. <laughs> it was so obvious that Brian Kelly was an offensive guy. Yeah. And, I mean, we could debate in a, in, a, in a show someday of maybe that's why the defense was always so much better the last five years than the offense. Yeah. That's, a, that's yeah. a different conversation yeah. for a different day, but – you know, I think that's important. You're saying I think one was, voice for the, you know that the defense had, and the you know the, the, right, the other exactly. guy was and Brian you know, Kelly. Too many we, voices we, we on the other side. Yeah, right, Sean. We were practices. Sure. Brian Kelly was an offensive guy. It was clear he was an offensive guy. You know, he wasn't down there working with the defense, or coaching the defense, and and you know they had their they had their guy, and it was you know Clark Lee or it was Marcus Freeman, and I think that's why there was such a bond to those defensive coordinators because they looked at him as like that's our head coach, you know. Uh, and, and I don't think Coach Freeman wants that. And I think he experienced that, being the defensive coordinator, of like, hey, look, we are kind of our own world. And, you know, I, look, I, I, you, know, you know me, Sean. I talked to a lot of different sources and all those type of things, and there was always a lot of when things wouldn't go well, there was always a lot of friction between the, the two sides of the ball. Well, we didn't do this because the defense didn't do this or the offense didn't do that. And you can't have that. And I think part of that was due to the fact that the head coach was considered an offensive guy. You know, and, and, and there would be times it would be weird, like – and especially in the last few years where like Brian Kelly would like bend over backwards to defend the offense. But anytime the defense had even remotely a bad game or a not a typical game, he'd, he'd, he'd bend over backwards to criticize them. Well, that, that's not just something I noticed. I'm just telling you that right now. It's not just something I noticed. And I think Marcus Freeman saw that. He saw the reaction of the players to that. And he's not going to make the same mistake with the offense that I think Brian Kelly made with the defense. So like I'm everybody's head coach, right? And we're we're all working towards the same goal. We're not going to win a championship because we have a great defense. We're not going to win a championship because we have a great offense. We're going to win a championship because we have a great offense and a great defense, and they're one team. And we're all working towards the same goal, and we all have each other's back. And I think that was a very important message to say. I mean, he got it got a little kind of weird with it with the fight conversation, but I understood what he was saying. 
You know, like I'm not one of those coaches that wants to see guys fighting in practice. Hey, I'm with you. Amen. It right. was a little bit of a forced analogy, but the point was spot on. We're one team. We can't have one heartbeat if we're then two separate teams. One heartbeat. What are you like? Uh, you know, what was the movie of Matt Damon and um, uh, Greg Kinnear, right? Where they were attached. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> was it like, stuck on you? Is that stuck what it was? on you? That was great, right? Like it's two people, one you know, one liver, whatever. But you know, <laughs> yeah. if you're gonna have one heart, then you need to be one body and one team, right? And it can't be offense and. It's got to be, you know, get real theological with you, you know, and the Trinity and all that other kind of stuff. Uh The point is you need to have one team, one heartbeat, one message, and there needs to be a unity where, hey, look, I'm battling you in practice today because I'm trying to make you better and I need you to make me better, and vice versa as opposed to the adversarial nature that I think we saw at times in the past. Real quick, we don't know who's doing what on Pro Day on Friday. I I think it would be – Pretty shocking if Kyron Williams isn't running the 40 on Friday, though, wouldn't it? He needs to do a lot of things. I mean, none of his stuff was good. I mean, really, none of his testing numbers were good. The only thing that we've heard is, and this isn't finalized, but we have heard that that Kyle Hamilton might run the 40, and then that's it, and then just not do any of the other testing. Yeah. But with Kyron Williams, he really needs to do a lot. I mean, his overall numbers were were not good. The, The jumping numbers weren't good. The lift... The, uh, the sprinting numbers weren't good. The, the change of direction stuff was good, but not what you I expected from him. So I'm hoping that that he does a lot more than just test, and I'm hoping that he does a lot better. Because the one thing they're not going to make him do at Notre Dame is wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to start his day and then not let him run till 8 o'clock. Yeah, that's true. PM. That's true. You know, that's what Notre Dame won't do, which is what the NFL made him do. So hopefully it's a good day. He needs it. Of all the guys that are working out this week, in my opinion, he needs it the most in regards to being able to really improve his stock and start letting the film do the talking again because right now it's the testing that's doing a lot of the talking. Yep. All right, what else is going on at irishbreakdown.com right now, Brian? You know, I just published an article literally like five minutes before I came on the show where mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a fun look at like, you know, Notre Dame's like known as like O-line U or tight end U and kind of rank the offensive position groups of, of what's the most important positions that Notre Dame needs to be known as, you know, whatever position group U. And then we talked a little bit about 2023 recruiting and then a debate we had on our message board, which is who is the second best opponent on Notre Dame schedule, Clemson or USC? Okay. I dive a little bit into that as well in my – my midweek musings article. Sounds good to me. Find it at irishbreakdown.com. Brian Driscoll, I will, I guess, talk to you again next week. Can't wait. All right, sounds good. Brian Driscoll, irishbreakdown.com. We will take a timeout. We've got more Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming up. Speaking of irishbreakdown.com, Vince D'Addario, who doubles for us and for Brian, will be in the 6 o'clock hour tonight as well. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 